So good. I'm excited to preach today. Um, if you're wondering where Ryan is, um, he couldn't make it today. This, I'm his younger twin brother. Um, my my two-year-old got a hold of my beard trimmer without my knowledge and changed the setting. And so Friday morning, I thought I was just going to trim the beard. But then a big chunk of facial hair came off. And I'm like, well, guess, I guess I'm going to get to see my face for the first time in like eight years. So it's cool. It's fun. I love kids. Um, <coughs> Yeah, I love uh, Jesus. Thank you, Amy, once again. I just love testimony because I love the power of testimony because it's not just about Amy being vulnerable, but her vulnerability and her testimony, what Jesus is doing, opens it up to happen in your heart. And so I just love um, what God is opening to us, the invitation he brings to all of us to rise up and walk in resurrection life. And today I want to talk a little bit about the church. We've been in the middle of this series on the house that God is building. And isn't that the truth? We want to be a church and a community that is built on the foundations that God established. Not our own opinions, not our own desires, not our own, own wants, but we want what God wants for the church. And there are things about the church that I love. I, there are moments where I'm just so enamored with the love of God and the father heart and the way that the church can come together. And then there are moments where honestly, I feel embarrassed about some of our immaturity and our attitude. And uh, I mean, this is like Steve said earlier today, this is such a interesting time to live in. And there's so much happening and so much going on that I think God is behind um, that it's, it's worth our taking the time to to understand who we are in him and what the church is that we're a part of. Um, one of the things that just made me so proud and so thankful to be a part of the church was about a week and a half ago, um, we, we planned the community of Maple Valley and Covington and Kent, and we all, all the youth pastors get together twice a month and we just pray and talk. And so we'd been planning for the last year we do a youth rally night every year, but this year we decided we wanted to make it bigger. We wanted to make it more evangelistic. So we, um, the Tahoma School District, gave us the Performing Arts Center at the new high school. And just a week and a half ago, we got together, and it literally was probably 10 different youth ministries getting together and just planning a night where we would worship and we'd hear the word, but we would invite Kids would be able to invite friends that maybe have never been exposed to the message of Jesus before, never been exposed to church. And we said, let's bring them together. Let's feed them pizza. Let's worship God. Let's invite people to get saved. And we, um, the Performing Arts Center holds about 700, and I think we filled it up almost to capacity. There were probably 630 young people in this room, and we just worshiped Jesus. And I got to tell you, that moment where you're just standing in the midst of 650 students at a public high school declaring the love of Jesus and the hope of Jesus, and then at the end being able to see about 35 young people raise their hand to accept Jesus. Come on. I love it. It was so good and so emotional in a good way to see that happening and the power that is in that unity and then there are moments like, I don't know, that just happen that make you feel embarrassed, make you feel hurt for people. I know that this week, um, if you've been paying attention, you know, Beth Moore kind of got scolded 
by a well-known um, pastor in America for basically being a woman preacher. Basically got told, you know, Beth, if you knew what was good for you, you would go home. And I just, I listened to that. And it's, I don't, I don't really care at this point what your theology is on whether women can be leaders in church or not. Actually, we'll hear more about that next week. But just the way that it came across and the amount of arrogance and pride and just the way that it was so demeaning, I think, to all women. I just remember listening to that statement and the things that happened there. And I just sat back in my chair going, God, what are we doing? Like, what are we doing to each other? Um, and I just remember sitting in my chair going, it's time to grow up. Like, seriously. And then this week, in case you weren't aware, Kanye West came out with his long-awaited album called Jesus is King. Yes. And I know some of you aren't really in tune to the hip-hop scene, but Kanye, Kanye West has been around forever and um, he's a well-known worldwide hip-hop artist. He's married to Kim Kardashian now, in case you were wondering. And is falling in love with Jesus. And so you get half of the church that's excited. Woo! Somebody with influence, somebody that's in the culture is pumping out music that says Jesus is king. And shouldn't that be something that we celebrate? And then you get the other half of the church that gets online and they just want to give their opinion on, is Kanye really mature, though? Is he really saved? Does he really get it? Doesn't he have too much of the world's culture already inside of his heart? And should we really be taking him seriously? I say anybody that's willing to produce an album that proclaims Jesus is king, we can take him seriously. And I don't need to concern myself with who's discipling him and who his pastor is. I just say, way to go, Kanye, keep it up. And I'm sorry for some of my brothers and sisters that have decided they're going to be judge, jury, and executioner on where your spiritual life goes. <laughs> I'm just saying. The church about 15 years ago was praying against the spirit of Antichrist in Kanye. And then he comes out with an, an album titled Jesus is King, and everybody's like, well, wait a second, though. <laughs> I think where I want to go with my message today, and actually I've titled my message, One in Christ, Breaking the Barriers of Culture and Race. Sounds fun. <laughs> hey, Ryan, you're a 37-year-old white guy. Talk about it. And I will. Because, right, it's about the kingdom. And I think the church's failure to confront some awkward issues has kept us in the dark, has kept us immature in a lot of areas. And I believe that the culture that we're living in, it's not just the enemy trying to take over culture. It's God saying, if you could wake up, if you could rise up in your new identity, if you could mature as sons and daughters of me, your king, then there would be a harvest like you'd never seen before. But I think in our efforts to try to be the judge of how much of the worldly culture is influencing the culture of the church, I always, that battle goes on, you know, even the stuff about Beth Moore this week, it was all about, well, I just believe it's because we've let the culture of the world come in and let feminism take over the church. I'm like, feminism? She's been preaching Jesus for how many years? 
And we're so concerned sometimes with how is the culture of the world influencing the church that we don't even take time to honestly and humbly reflect what is the culture of the body of Christ supposed to look like? And so I want to read, I just want to rattle off about four different passages um, that Paul, all letters that Paul wrote to four different churches in four different cities. And as we talk about the culture of the kingdom and the culture of the church that God has established on the earth, I want you to notice the similarity in all four of these statements, in all four of these letters to four different churches in four different cities and see if we can come up with maybe God has an idea of what he wants the culture of his church to look like. Ephesians 4, it says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God of fa and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Then he writes a letter to the church in, Col in Colossians, and he says, put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew. There is not circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and he is in all. And I love how the Passion Translation um, uses this verse. It says, in this new creation life, your nationality makes no difference. Your ethnicity, education, economic status, they matter nothing for it is Christ that means everything as he lives in every one of us. Amen. Then he writes a letter to the church in Corinth and he says, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews, Greeks, slaves, free, and all were made to drink of the one spirit. And then finally to the church in Galatia, he says, In Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ and have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Do you pick up the theme here? Seems like humanity has a propensity to want to self-separate and segregate based off of our own experience and understanding and culture and ethnic tradition. It was always the church trying to go, you know what? Maybe it'd be easier if the Jewish Christians and the Greek Christians just had different services because our cultures, it's just so hard to understand each other. We come from completely different backgrounds. Maybe it'd be easier if the men did their thing on this side and the women did their thing on this side because man, we're just two completely different types of human. Right? Maybe it'd be easier if the guys with all the money did their thing on this side and the people were need, that were needy did everything on their side because we're tired of them asking us for things and we're tired of being made to be greedy. And Paul, every single letter to every single church, his comment was the same. In Christ you are one. Don't settle for anything less than that. See, the kingdom of God and the church 
that is to represent that kingdom at its heart. The heart of God is always to create justice, harmony, and equality. And I believe that in this culture that we're living in, we have an opportunity church. And I'm not saying that the heart is not there for us. And I'm not here to call anybody racist. I'm not here to call anybody dumb, stupid. I'm just here to say we have an opportunity here if we let God get the house in order to be a part of a movement to win souls to the kingdom if we can get outside of our narrow view of understanding and our narrow view of who God really is and let his heart be the thing that floods in, right? I feel like sometimes it's like the Grinch scenario where like we have a little bit of the heart of God, but it's when the Grinch's heart grew three, three sizes in one day that he was able to love more than he'd ever loved before. And I just feel like God, he appreciates the heart that we do have, but he's just saying, can you expand it a little bit more because there's way more room in there. And some of your own cultural understanding and some of your own experiences, you are holding those above and over my heart for people and for the church. Is that all right? See, because I think there's a specific way that as believers, we're called to carry our relationship with the Lord and the heart of God to people and if we, if we mature in it, if we grow in our understanding of it, then there's going to be a greater authority and our voice is going to carry more weight with people. Because I, I, I dream is amazing how they love people. Yeah. And I want that to be the thing that draws people in. In Matthew 5, 9, it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. We're sons and daughters of God. It isn't interesting that Jesus makes the delineation, you are a son of God. And when I use the term like, I'm going to use the term sons and kings today, but I just want you to know it's, it's covering men and women, right? I'm not trying to leave anybody out. But when God says we are sons of God, he says you're sons of mine because you are peacemakers. The peace means to be at a state of rest, tranquility, quietness, rest, right? You know when you're at rest, when things are good. But it's only possible when God's order has been established in the situation, right? But to be a peacemaker means that we have to be the ones who initiate. We have to be the ones that are the authors of the peace agreement. We have to be the ones that are able to prepare and be willing to make ready for God's presence to show up in the situation so he can bring peace because he's the prince of peace. We just prepare the way. And Jesus said, if you're a peacemaker, you're a son, you're a daughter. I think a lot of times because we don't know what to do and we feel awkward, we will run from situations that have no peace. Oh, man, did you see what's going on in Seattle right now? Stay away from there. Oh, man, did you see what happened at this other church last week? Stay away from that place. We're always out of comfort and awkwardness trying to avoid situations where God says, if your sons, if your daughters run into the situation that's not at peace and bring it, make a pathway for me to be able to come into the situation. Stop living your life out of fear and anxiety of what you think the world is going to do to the church. Be the church and spread this culture of the love of God and the salvation of Jesus to these areas that need peace. So I want to talk a little bit about what it means to be sons and daughters of God this morning. 
and I'm going to do it in the context of what it tells us in Revelation chapter 1. It says, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, he has made us to be a kingdom of, and priest to serve his God and Father. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. The King James Version translates this as, He has made us to be kings and priests. God's kingdom and God's heart always to a king and a priest are always the number one priority and the number one focus. And I just want to make the statement today that your authority as you raise your family, as you talk with your friends, as we are the church, our authority comes through our ability to be priests. He said you have the authority of kings and queens when you operate out of your priesthood. It's not just about, I need to be in places of influence. I have something to say. I need to say it because we just need to take this thing over. Because it's not going in a direction that I want it to go in. God tells us your authority and your influence and your voice comes out of the revelation of you being a true son and a true daughter and a priest to the king. A priest being willing to stand in the gap for people. Being willing to, to help uh, close the distance between the heart of God and people that are far from God. That is the heart of priesthood. That's why even Steve said it today. We have a great high priest in heaven. And what is Jesus doing? He's interceding on our behalf to get us closer to the heart of his Father. And so there's a difference um, between, I think, some of the ways that we try to do church and we try to have influence and what a priest and what a son and what a peacemaker really looks like. So I just want to cover three points this morning before we close on what I think are some of the main characteristics of what a priest does. Number one, priests are ambassadors of reconciliation. Number two, priests have direct access to God, and therefore priests have a responsibility to seek the Lord for his heart and for his wisdom. It's one thing to have the direct access. It's another thing to actually use the access to get the wisdom and the heart that you are seeking after. And then number three, priests carry a prophetic edge. Because we can hear the heart of God over people and over situations that can bring healing, hope, empowerment, and reconciliation. And so we are called as priests to be the initiators of what God wants to do in the earth. God actually, through our priesthood, wants to clue us in first on what his plan and what his heart is. But I think a lot of times because we misunderstand what our priestly role is, we're, sometimes it seems like we're the last to, to figure it out. But God's going to change that. Amen? So number one, we are, as priests, we're ambassadors of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, 19 and 20 says, He has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. So we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And here's what I want to say about reconciliation, and that is, it's not just about Jesus paying a debt that we owed, right? Paying the debt so that we can have connection again. It's about restoring to fullness of life and health. 
When Jesus' heart says, be reconciled to God, it's not just understand that I paid the price for you, so be thankful. It's, yeah, I paid the price so that you could be returned to fullness of health and life and abundance. When the debt is paid, forgiveness and healing and true freedom can then come. See, Jesus told us that we would know the truth and the truth would set us free. I think sometimes as Christians who know a little bit, we... We confuse sometimes facts with truth. We do. We're like, oh, I know the facts, so I'm going to tell you. I'm going to spit some truth right now. We have this racial tension going on in America. Whether you want to admit it or not, it's there. So what's the church going to do about it? Spit facts that disprove that it's even a thing? Oh, I'll tell you what's going on. It's the, it's a, it's an underground movement of people that want to destroy America. Okay, cool. That helps. What, what am I supposed to do with that? See, because we love to spit facts. Oh, the fact is, we won the Civil War. The Union won. Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation in, in 1863 created the 13th Amendment. That's the fact. And then if that's not enough for you, we went through this whole civil rights movement. And in 1964, they passed the Civil Rights Act and shut down the segregation, shut down the prejudice in the South. So what, do you want, what else do you want us to do? Even Abraham Lincoln said, in his second inaugural address, if God wills that war continue until every drop of blood drawn with the lash be paid by another drawn by the sword, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Whew, that's heavy. Can I say it again? Abraham Lincoln, if God wills, that the war continue until every drop of blood drawn with the lash be paid by another drawn by the sword, then the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So people want to say, we paid the price. How much more blood needs to be spilled? Can I say this? As much as I love Abraham Lincoln and I completely agree with what he's saying, th listen, as honorable and sacrificial and as any soldier dying on any battlefield and spilling any amount of blood is for the cause of righteousness and truth and freedom, right? That's not the blood that pays the debt. <laughs> Human sacrifice is an honorable thing, but there's one sacrifice that brings reconciliation, and that's the pure spilt blood of the innocent man, Jesus Christ. So, I say that not to be insensitive that we went through this horrible thing. It's, it, it was a horrible moment in our history and a painful moment in our history. And God sees that and he weeps over it. But at the same time, he says, remember, though, the solution to this problem isn't your, of your own making. It's, it's me. It's Jesus. So unless you bring reconciliation to the table in the form of Jesus and preaching salvation and his blood spilled for all the wrong that's been done against you, nothing is going to change. But we love spitting the facts. Come on, we all know this. 
just because there's facts of your life that are over and done with, any of you who have counseled people know that when there is an issue that is causing pain in their soul and in their heart, and when there's, when there's undealt with woundings, let's say you got um, molested as a six-year-old by a family member, and now you're 54, and it still causes you to live a certain way and pattern your life a certain way and live uh, with this guilty conscience and live with rejection and live like you're just not normal. We all know that it could have happened 50 years ago, but if it hasn't been covered in the blood and the forgiveness of Jesus, then it is still going to affect your life. So we know in principle through the word that sometimes the facts and the truth don't line up and we need the truth who is the man, Jesus Christ, to come into the situation if we want to see true change happen. And who does he leave that responsibility with? He leaves it with his church. The world is going to want to get you to engage in an argument. But more than I want you to argue, I want you to bring Jesus into the situation and bring his wisdom and bring his strategy into it. Because in case you haven't noticed, all the backbiting and fighting that we do and talking that we do doesn't really change much. Sorry if it's hitting a little too close to home for you. Reconciliation comes with real person-to-person conversation and contact. (laughs) And I'm guilty of this, so I'm going to preach it. I can't just settle for fooling myself that I'm reconciling something by just listening to somebody that I agree with sometimes. We love to do that. We live in the information age. You can listen to your favorite podcast. You can listen to your favorite network. You can listen to your favorite radio show. And you can just be like, amen, amen, amen. He's spitting truth. And then I come to realize I've never actually had a real conversation with anybody that's different than me on this subject. Maybe I should start talking to some people like in real life. We fool ourselves into thinking we know things and we know people and we know what they're going through because we heard some commentator say it sometime and we agreed with it. Yeah, yeah, that's what I believe, totally. That's, uh, that's what they're going through, isn't it? It's true. <laughs> Priests have to actually be present in the situation needing to be reconciled for, to be effective. <laughs> Jesus came to earth and made himself present in the situation. We didn't have God just speaking to us. He did in the Old Testament. He spoke from heaven. He spoke through the prophets. This is what needs to happen. This is where you guys stink. This is where you guys are doing all right. This is where you need to improve. Jesus became the word in the flesh and made his dwelling among us so that he could show us what a true priest looks like. We've got to live among the situation we got to take our direct access to God seriously. We have a responsibility as kings and priests to seek the Lord for his heart and for heavenly wisdom. It says in James 3.17, There's a wisdom that comes from heaven that is first of all pure, then peace-loving and considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit. It is impartial and it's sincere. And then it says in Isaiah 11, verses 2 and 3, this was prophesying about Jesus, but we are created to be 
made in the image of Jesus, right? We're, we're created to become more and more like him. And so it's saying, it's prophesying it over us. It says, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge those who are in need. See, because if we want to operate in this pure, impartial, peace-loving level of wisdom, we've got a desire to understand more than we desire to be right. Sometimes I just think people wake up in the morning, including Christians, and they're like, what can I do today to prove that I'm in the right? And I say, it's cool that you want to be right, but Jesus places higher priority on people understanding his heart more than you being proven right today. So much of our authority in the kingdom gets lost because our priority is not what is the priority of the Father. And the only way you're going to understand his priority is by having full access to him and taking advantage of that access. Dad, what do you want me to say today? Dad, how do you feel about this situation today? I'm laying aside all my preconceived notions, all my opinions about it, whether it's conservative, whether it's progressive. It's a devil's word. Oh, I don't know, but God, wherever you, you want to line up in there, do it. We've got to be unbiased. We've got to be pure in our motives. And the only way we do that is to get the heart of God on the situation. It takes humility to listen to people, not just based off the content of what they're saying, but the discernment of what is going on in their heart by listening to the Holy Spirit. We, we have to be willing as people who are priests and are serving Jesus to, to not just listen to content that are coming out of people's mouths, but say, what's really going on in their heart right now? Are they mad about something? Are they sad about something? Are they afraid of something? And can I help through the presence of God alleviate the fear and the sadness and the anger? But that also takes a willingness to know what the Spirit of God is revealing in our hearts about the situation. When you hear a subject matter, when you hear somebody say something that's a buzzword to you, that gets your blood pressure to go up, you have to ask yourselves, what is causing my blood pressure to go up right now? What is it that's in my heart that needs to be revealed? Does this subject bring up frustration, anxiousness, fear, unresolved bitterness in me that I need to guard against to represent God in the right way in this situation? Good. we got to have hearts that are receptive enough to seek to understand and have the humility to say sometimes, not, I don't agree with what you're saying, and let me tell you why, but to say, tell me more. I want to understand where you're at. Is there room in our worldviews to allow the way we've experienced life to understand that maybe that's not the way that someone else has experienced it? Our connection is priests has to be stronger than every other connection. Otherwise, those things have a tendency to become idols in our hearts that will keep us from being pure in our motives and sincere in our reflection of Jesus. Should I say this part? Mm. A lot of times you hear a message like this, including myself, and it causes like this offensive thing to rise up in me like, hey, what are you talking about? 
some of us, I remember reading books and hearing from the Lord, and I had to walk through weeks of like being offended about what people were saying about America and about the church. And God revealed to me one time, he said, this, it's because this nation has become an idol to you. You can't separate your faith in Jesus from a conversation about America or the flag. And God just had to set me straight and say, hey, listen, I love this country even more than you do. But understand that your allegiance isn't just to whatever's going to make America look good. Your allegiance is to my heart. And what I say needs to happen to bring true restoration and freedom. So some of us have to get past that and say, as a priest, what am I a priest of today? I need to be a priest of the agenda of the kingdom of God. Same issue goes for past experiences, life experiences, exposure to the world that you may have or may not have. If you can't separate aspects of your life journey and experiences from your faith journey and what you're learning as you walk in the kingdom, there might be an idol in the heart that needs to be dealt with. See, because the gospel of Jesus obliterates any sense of superiority that any of us might feel we have based off of our life experience, our knowledge, our wisdom, our knowledge of the situation. All of that gets obliterated through Jesus Christ because we're all created in the image of God, all have equal value, and the God who has superiority over all things let go of his superiority and became a man and died on a cross and served all of us who were far less than him, and he told us to do likewise. So any smidge of I'm superior because of what I've gone through and my experience and my knowledge of the situation gets thrown out the window with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And finally, I just want to end with priests carry the prophetic edge. Much of what of the gift gets misunderstood, but, but honestly, I just explained most of it in the previous section. It's about being connected to the heart of God over our own situations and our own issues and our own understandings. When you want to be a prophetic voice, then it means that above everything else, the priority is I want the heart of God in the situation. And it becomes in greater measure the more we're tuned into what the Holy Spirit is saying. All of us have the ability to operate prophetically as we listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Are, are we willing to give testimony of what Jesus has done and is doing in our lives? Because, you know, that's why the Bible says um, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Because when I'm willing, like Amy was willing to do, to share, this is what's gone on in my heart. This is what Jesus is doing in my heart. It opens up the floodgates for that to happen, that everybody that is within earshot of, of listening to that. And that's the prophetic word of the kingdom going forth. I know that you're in this situation, but Jesus is going to get you out of it, and he's going to do it like this. And I want to end with this, the church should be the initiators of what God is doing in the earth, not the reactionaries, not the, I'm not sure if this is really God. I'm not sure if this is God doing a new thing or just the culture of the world influencing the church too much. I don't know. We're not called to be the judge of that. We're called to be kings and priests. If you want your authority back, then you rise up in your priesthood. The church we got to be the first to listen as we listen to God's plan. We should be the initiators. The church was the first place to integrate Jew and Gentile. 
the ethnic and the cultural divide that was happening in Jesus' day. The church was the first to initiate the joining of those two together. None of you are superior to the other. We're all one in Christ, right? The first to integrate rich and poor, the social and the economic divide that people were experiencing. It was just as real back then as it is today. Class warfare. Paul said, you are one in Christ. The first to integrate male and female, the gender divide. Women were not given as much say as men in the culture of Jesus' day. They were not given a voice as much. Who was the first man to come on the scene and give women a voice? Jesus. Woo! Bridging the gender divide. The first to integrate slave and free. And the way I'll phrase it this for this morning, the first to bring together and, and get forgiveness flowing for the victim versus the victimizer. I could never go to church with you because this is what you did to me and my family. It's never going to happen. Paul said, you are one in Christ. Nothing at all they had in common in terms of life experience and even understanding, but they all had experienced the Holy Spirit and the resurrected Jesus. And it's the same story we get to celebrate in today. And it all happened because it was in the heart of God for it to happen. I don't want this world to be divided. The kingdom is not divided. The kingdom is a uniter. Worship team, you can come up. Apologize for running over a few minutes today. But hopefully it's worth it. We are called to be the reconciliation. It's the heart of God. God doesn't just want a bride that reacts to the social activism and the shifts that are happening in our culture today. He wants us to be on the forefront of those shifts. And when I say the word activism, I know it's a buzzword because there's activism that's pure and then there's activism that's just activism. And I understand that. But do you understand that the church is supposed to be the activist in the culture? The church is supposed to be the one bridging the racial and ethnic divide. The church is supposed to be the one on the forefront of bridging the social and economic status of people. The church is supposed to be the one with the voice on the value of both men and women in culture and society and church and business and home life. We are called to be the activators of what the culture of the kingdom looks like. And so today, I know this is a hard pill to swallow and I'm not expecting you to just get it today. I've honestly probably been stewing over this topic and this message for the last three years of my life. So I'm not expecting you in 30 minutes of listening to me, oh yeah, I get it, but I am asking you as you wrestle through these issues in your heart, will you let the Holy Spirit, will you humble yourself and say, Father, are there areas of my life and of my heart and of my understanding that need to shift so that I can be the king and the priest that you've called me to be. So I just want to pray for us today because I know that there's just some things that the Holy Spirit wants to just have us deal with and wrestle through. But I also know, I think what the Father is asking of us today is which side of the cross, church, do you want to stand on? Because there's the blood of Jesus that changes everything on this side. And then there's just the 
I'm just going to keep fighting it the way that everybody else fights it on this side. The arguments, the fact-finding, the, well, if you guys really wanted to improve your lives, then you would do this. It's not really our fault, it's your fault, because... 90% of homicide is black-on-black black crime, so swallow that pill. Do something with it, you guys. It's not going to go anywhere because there's heart issues at stake. There's woundings at stake that need to be healed. And Jesus is asking us today, will you stand on the kingdom side of the cross with me and say, I will stand in the gap. I will stand in the gap. I will, I will do my best to bridge the, the gap of understanding and the gap of life experience and say, we're all one in Christ. Will we be the proponent of the kingdom with him? And so, would you stand with me? May we become the church that just becomes better and better at loving the world, loving people standing for truth but bringing reconciliation and healing at the same time will we be the church that when the world looks at us they say man I don't understand everything that they stand for and I don't necessarily agree with everything that they say is truth but man I marvel at the way that they are able to love one another and love people and so I just I feel like in this moment it's important to just just repent on behalf Sometimes we just stand in the gap as priests and we repent on behalf of a culture and maybe a church culture that we're not guilty of it, but I think there's power in the spirit of when, when we stand and declare something that it breaks a stronghold that maybe we didn't start and we didn't cause, but we get to break it anyway because that's what a king and a queen gets to do in their spiritual authority. Jesus said, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. So I just want to loose in the spiritual realm the kingdom of God to flood into these situations. And so I just stand as a leader in the church and just say, Father, at, on behalf of the church, we just stand and repent today for our resistance to your call to be priests. I just pray that you would release the ministry of reconciliation over the church in a greater measure to make wrong things right. I pray for broken history to be restored. I pray for a release of grace to give us your heart for people in greater measure. Would you expand our hearts as we seek your heart, as we ask for your forgiveness? Would your blood, Jesus, purify our wrong motives? Would your blood take away the bitterness take away the resentment, take away the misunderstanding. I just believe that right now God wants to heal calloused hearts and cynical hearts over the fight, over the political climate, over the divisiveness resident in our culture. I pray for hearts that are struggling with fear and anger and distrust and bitterness and unforgiveness, even frustration, even confusion, even apathy. Some of us have just said, I'm so sick of it. I don't even want to know what's going on, and I don't know what's going on, and I don't care. We repent of that attitude because we know you do not carry an apathetic heart. Father, you love people. You care for people. You sent your one and only son to die for everyone. 
And so we want to carry the message of hope and healing and restoration and reconciliation. Bring unity back to the church as a whole. Bring unity back to the nation as a whole, Father. And we know you want to do it through us as we live our life in you. I pray for greater authority to bring the peace of God to our communities. The authority of God to bring the peace of God and the truth of Jesus to our cities and to our nation because we know that it's your blood and your truth that will bring the transformation that we're seeking. So we stand with you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for healing. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for making wrong things right that are going on in our hearts. We serve you and you alone. We serve your kingdom and your kingdom alone. Your kingdom has our highest priority in our heart. And we endeavor right now to leave this place seeking to be more mature sons and daughters that don't just react to the climate, but we change the climate through your presence in our life. Thank you, Father, for who you are. You're so good to us. You're so patient with us. I just cry mercy over the church. I cry mercy over the city of Maple Valley, over the state of Washington. I cry mercy of God over this nation and over the nations of the world that are in conflict right now. We cry mercy, God. Would your mercy rain down? Would you show us your favor? Would you show us your grace even though we don't deserve it? Even though the church is immature in its reaction, I know we don't deserve it. But show your mercy. Soften our hearts as David said. Do not turn your spirit from us. Let your presence not walk away from us. Forgive us, Lord. We repent on behalf of a church that sometimes can be cynical and hard and apathetic, but we want to carry your heart in greater measure today. I pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Jesus loves you. We love you. Thank you for being a part of his church. Go in the authority and the love of Jesus today. Amen.